You're listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha G. And Lisa Michelle, the show for up-and-coming mental health professionals, advocates, and anyone else who wants to learn more about the mental health field from two not-so-professional professionals. Hello, folks. Hey, guys. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Today is the last part of our specialty series, and we have Katherine Hagwood with us. Katherine is an LPC and a registered yoga faith trainer in Jackson, Mississippi. Her main passion is the uniqueness of women and understanding that their struggles are as unique as they are. She was born and raised in Jackson. She and her husband, Mark, have a blended family with four children and lots of family dogs. So, Katherine, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for asking me. Such a pleasure. No problem. Um, And like I tell everybody, the most important part is that you say yes. So (laughs) (laughs) thanks for that. So today we'll be talking to Catherine about women's issues and counseling and what that looks like for her. So Catherine, if you want to just go ahead and tell us some about yourself first and how you got into the field. So I often tell people um, how I got into the field before I was a um, an LPC, before I was, uh, did this professionally, I was also a professional client at one point in time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things that I think about sometimes is um, I think all of us who get into this profession or get into it because we want to know more about ourselves. We want to know more about our struggles. We want to know more about, um, you know, just, just truly that self-awareness. And so I, I tell people sometimes that um, I couldn't afford the amount of therapy that I probably needed. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to school and learned it for myself. <laughs> um, no, but I'm in recovery from drugs and alcohol. And so I, um, about 10 or so years ago, um, I just started, my, my husband's an LPC also, and mm-hmm. um, I, I noticed that, that God was putting a bunch of women in my life um, to just kind of do life with, mm-hmm. and then I started sponsoring women um, as in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and right. I, was, I, I just, I realized that I felt alive when I was sitting with women. I just truly felt alive. And um, so I asked my husband one day, and look, I was in my mid-40s when I went back to grad school. Um, I had not been in school for 25 years. And I was in my mid-40s, and I was working full-time as a development specialist for a a nonprofit. I did all of their fundraising and their special events. And I just asked my husband one day, I said, what do you think about me going back to school? And he just kind of smiled and he said, I was waiting on you to say that. And so I started, he's a sweetie. Um, (laughs) I started grad school and I was so skeptical at first and just really unsure. And honestly, like, can I really do this with four children and a full-time job? Mm -hmm. And I started slow. I took I think one class the first semester, and then I bumped it up. And towards the end of my um, schooling, I ended up with taking like three classes at a time. And so that's really how I got into it. And it was really just kind of, I wanted to know more about myself. Um, Also had a bunch of women in my life that I was just kind of doing life with. And I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then let's go for it. So here we are. (laughs) I love that. Thank you Um, for that. So Catherine, what kind of adversities did you face while trying to build your career? So I I feel like this 
at, at first I thought this was an adversity, um, but it was really just kind of perceived on my part, uh, mm-hmm. my age. I honestly thought, okay, gosh, I'm going back to school. I'm 45 years old. I think what well, was when I started, started grad school. And I was like, I, are, are people going to want to come see me? Like an old lady, <laughs> even though I know oh I'm not old. <laughs> right. but, uh, you know, those were just my thoughts that were running around in my head. And, you know, honestly, it's been interesting. Um, I feel like it kind of works to my advantage at times now. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes folks will call, women will call, and especially like going through the different transitions in life from empty nest to menopause to losing a spouse mm. to retirement. I feel like sometimes women would like somebody that's a little bit older and has a little bit, you know, of life experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm actually really glad. I'm um I know it's still your question, Michelle. No, <laughs> but I'm actually you're good. really glad that you said that because that's a, a big deal too. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a bunch of different episodes where we talked about the differences in people and, and being okay with those differences, but also how to work with people in different ages. Um and we also had a grad student who asked about being in a different stage of life than her peers. And I guess she felt like she was the oldest one who was still in school. Um, Mm. But I I think it's important that you mention that because a lot of times people do want somebody who's, who they perceive as the same as them, you know, and that looks different, you know, even if it's just age or like you said, when they're going through life transitions. So I think I'm I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Sure. Do you feel that those issues are ongoing or something you're still kind of having to grapple with? Um, not really. And, and I guess, you know, having a, a, a decent caseload kind of alleviates those fears. Right. Um, but I, I do feel like, um, you know, I have not felt that since that initial thought that I had when I started grad school. I truly have not Good. felt that. Yeah. And, and it's just been received very well. In fact, I feel like sometimes when women come in here who haven't looked at our website or don't necessarily know, you know, anything about me, how old I am or, you know, anything like that. First of all, I sound like I'm making myself like a dinosaur. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I mean I, <laughs> I'll be 50 in January. So, um, but sometimes they come in and there's almost like this relief. Because they're like, oh, gosh, because I think sometimes um, there's this tendency to withhold things um, Mm -hmm. in our life. And I feel like, you know, the longer we're on this planet, the more experience we have just with life, whether it be good, bad or indifferent. And so I feel like sometimes there's a sense of relief when they walk in, they're like, Oh, thank goodness. And then there's also this sense of relief because I'm, I am um, uh, very much, I believe in the power of vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. so I'm Mm -hmm. very much an open book and I allow my clients when they come in to ask me questions. And I do, I'll tell them, you know, honestly about my struggles with alcohol and prescription medication and um, with depression and anxiety and all the things that I've struggled with. So I'm really open and I, think that kind of allows for a level of comfort and safety as well. Yeah, I would agree. So um, aside from the women in your life, can you tell us more about what specifically with women's wellness stood out to you and made you want to um, kind of focus on that area? So I believe that 
um, you know, we're almost the, our, our body, mind, and our spirits. Um, when one of those is out of balance, I think we're kind of out of balance. Mm-hmm. Also mm-hmm. believe that um, fueling our bodies with um, food, food is supposed to be fuel and right. moving our bodies and getting exercise. And so it's not just mental health that goes into the thought of wellness. It mm-hmm. is for me, it is our spiritual wellness, our emotional wellness, our physical wellness. Um, you know, and, and I think all of those things encompass truly what wellness looks like. Okay. Would you recommend that other women or other people, I guess, um, pursue this field, like pursue women specifically in their, their health and wellness? Of course. I, I, I love that I get to sit with strong women every day. Mm-hmm. And some of them that come into my office may not realize that they're strong. Um, and my desire and my hope is that I can do a little bit of something that empowers them um, to tap into their inner strength. And when I'm able to do that, um, it is empowering to me. So it's, it's also, it's kind of a two-way street. I get to do this every day. I don't feel like what I do is a job. I feel like I get to do this. I take this very seriously. Um, but I just feel like, I don't know, there's just something about women that women um, tend to be sometimes more likely to be vulnerable. They tend to be more likely to, um, do the work, do homework yeah, and things yes, like that. And absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I have some women that'll come in and it's hilarious. I've got a couple of clients and, and of course these are like um, my favorite clients. Of course, all of my clients are favorite clients, but the ones that are like, <laughs> can you give me some homework? Can you give me some homework? <laughs> this makes my job um, a lot easier when I'm like, yeah. can I give you homework? Of course I can give you homework. <laughs> So tell us about um, the benefits of using yoga alongside therapy. Gosh, one of my favorite things to talk about is yoga. Um, you know, like I said in the beginning, when, um, when you asked me how I got into this field, I've, I've done so much work in my own life through CBT, DBT, some internal family system stuff, inner child mm-hmm. stuff, um, inner critic work, just in my own life. But I can honestly say that I believe that yoga has been the single best technique for me um, that, that I've done personally because it has allowed me to make a mind-body connection that I don't know was ever there for me or um, had been buried for a long time due to some trauma that I went through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so for me, I, it just, I am so passionate about the practice of yoga. And so do you think that other people should, um, uh, other clinicians would do well to add that to their um, area of expertise? So I always think that, just even exploring um, different techniques um, is a good way. So I encourage people to really look at the practice field because first of all, it is, um, it's a mindfulness practice Mm -hmm. Um, and it allows you to be present in your body. Mm -hmm. It also allows you to be present in the present. 
so many of us live in the past or mm -hmm. concerned about the future and what right. that looks like. And there are so many benefits um, for our mental health also um, that yoga can provide. I am all about talk therapy. I think talk therapy works. I also love the experiential techniques as well. And yoga mm -hmm. is just one of those that is, um, um, that is truly experiential. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think I forget to put that in that context too. Yeah. It's a whole experience. Yeah. Right. Doing that. Yeah. Well, and it's also mind, body and your mm -hmm. spirit to me. Yeah. And because I practice yoga faith, it's a time where I also can connect with my creator mm. and worship yeah. in, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. And I think people forget that part when they think yoga, like they think that it's separate, but it really doesn't have to be. I always think about how um, it, it works for different people, you know, because I've done it with, with kids groups and stuff. And um, and I, I always laugh at how excited they are. Miss Aisha, can I do yoga today? <laughs> 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 when it's time for meditation, you know, so I just, I, I think that is, um, I agree with you that why not try a different technique? Cause you, you just, yeah. you know, you just got to see what works for whatever person. So. Sure. You know, and some of the benefits are, um, and there've been studies, I mean, this is evidence-based. This is not just something that, you know, somebody made up, but they're, um, you know, it has been shown, especially as far as anxiety. So it reduces your cortisol level, which affects and influences your um, serotonin levels. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen that. Also, they think that the reason why it is so good with PTSD is that you're practicing that mindfulness. You're being present in your body. You're being present mm -hmm. in the present. Mm -hmm. um, so Bessel van der Kolk, who... That's amazing who wrote the body keeps the score he worked with um veterans from vietnam he was one of the first people that kind of coined uh the phrase ptsd um and he believes in yoga and he says all kinds of things like he had a study of women at one point in time that were his clients um and he asked them to do yoga for a 10-week period of time um, and these ladies all had one thing in common. And he realized this as he was seeing them, that they all had autoimmune issues. And wow. at the end of the 10 weeks, um, all of the ladies um, cited a difference in their symptoms, a decrease in their symptoms. And so he thought, okay, there must be more to this than, than what we know. It also decreases symptoms of depression. Mm -hmm. um, because what it does is it creates this sense of calm. And, and it also creates this sense of self-control and self-discipline. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You learn to see, um, it just creates this beautiful sense of self. Mm -hmm. And when we take the time and we say, I am worthy of the time to do this for yoga, that is a gift that we can give ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So what does the process to focus on or to specialize in women's health and wellness look like? So for me, it wasn't really a process. It was, um, you know, and, and I, I don't really even know how it happened, but it just happened that I started getting a lot of women clients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see couples as well. Um, 
but I, I don't know. It, there was really no rhyme or reason to it. It started before I even got a, gotten had gotten licensed. Just all these women just kind of in my life. I believe in community. I feel like community is one of the single greatest things mm-hmm. that we can that we can do. You know, we all have just this great sense of what I feel like is the most basic need of all human beings, and that's to belong. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I do promote when women come in is I say, you know, and I, and I harp on it sometimes, you know, what's your, what does your social support look like? Like, what do you, um, what about friends, you know, and, and where, where do you, where do you go for your social support? And so I, I think I've, I've been in a, a really huge, um, just, impactful community of women for about the last decade. And I don't know, I guess I just got kind of used to, and maybe you'd say that's kind of in my wheelhouse is um, sitting with women and just doing life with them and journeying with them through all the stages of their life. Of course, our show is for up and coming professionals mainly. (laughs) So we want to know, do you feel like, up-and-coming professionals are being trained well enough? So I feel like that's a yes and no answer. Okay, I'm cool with that. I feel like yes <laughs> in the sense of, you know, like anything else, to the extent that you're going to get what you need out of it is the extent of the work that you put into it. I absolutely agree with mm-hmm. that. And absolutely. so sometimes I feel like, People might just, they get into grad school and their goal, they, they see this, which is great in some ways, but they just see this graduation date and this, I'm going to sit for the exam. Oh, I'm going yes. take the exam. And that's, they're, they're really not, of course, they're not practicing mindfulness and they're not being present. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I do feel like, you know, yes, in the, in the sense that if you put the amount of work in that's needed for these classes and go above and beyond, yes. Okay. Um, I say no in a sense, if you don't put the work into it. Um, And, you know, I feel like looking when you're looking for a grad school program to go into first and foremost, of course, it needs to be KCREP accredited. Um, And, um, but I also think, I looked for some experiential stuff. I learn a lot by doing. Um, I read a lot, but I also learn a majority of my things that I've learned in my life, I think, by doing them. And so I think that is something to look for as far as when you're looking at a grad school program, does it have the hands-on experience? Mm -hmm. Um, And... So I don't know if I really answered your question as far as are they being trained well. I say yes and no. You know, and also look at the rate of which graduates are passing the NCE and the National Clinical Mental Health Mm -hmm. Exam as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's very telling of a program because when we go in there, we're going in there to learn. And, and, you know, the end goal is always if, if you decide to pursue this is to be a licensed professional counselor. And so, Mm you know, looking at that. And if a school doesn't give you that information, I don't know, I might think about somewhere else. But I do think that that Mm -hmm. is very important is that you look at 
not only the rate of graduation, but also the rate of passing the exams. And then maybe if the schools do a follow-up with their students to see, you know, how many of them have actually, you know, passed the exam and then gone on to be, um, you know, uh, be an LPC. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that you talked about that, the experience while learning, because it, you know, we agree with the, the different types of grad students. We were all shaking our head about that. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I think one of the one of the things that I've seen come up with some of my peers was that they were already doing the job. And so it was this sense of, well, I'm already doing this, so I just need this course to to get finished and, mm. and move on. Um, and I think that's very different than learning and putting what you learned into practice, you know, um, I, th- I think those look different. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, I agree with that. And I also think that um, you may have been doing the job, but just don't mean you was doing it well, right? right. And the importance, <laughs> I think, of when you get out, when you graduate from grad school and, you know, you have to get your supervised hours. Mm-hmm. If you have a good supervisor that's going to sit with you, I mean, you have to do a hundred hours of supervision. And for me, at least, that's where the rubber started hitting the road and mm-hmm. where I started really putting what I had learned into practice and really some trial and error stuff. I remember sitting with my, my supervisor sometimes and I'd be like, okay, I feel like I just had the most epic fail in a session I've ever had in my life. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh my gosh, sometimes you walk out of your office and you're like, oh, good grief. But, um, you know, having that, that, um, you know, as much as we, we dislike, oh my gosh, we got to do 3,500 hours. And if you think about how many hours that is, you're like, oh, of course, right. but you know, I always say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so when you start doing your hours, but it's, it's very, important. Say it. <laughs> it's very important to sit with your supervisor who's already out there, who's already been out mm-hmm. there for at least five years. So you might've getting, be getting some job experience Experience, but I feel like you really get it when you start doing your hours and you start sitting with a supervisor who's been doing it for a very long time and you're working under their license. So you better believe they're going to make sure that you are doing the things that you right. need to do for your clients. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So kind of the flip side, I guess, um, what do you think clinicians should be looking for to ensure that programs are up to par and students are up to par? Um, well, like I said before, the, um, the rate of passing the NCE mm-hmm. and the National mm-hmm. Clinical Mental Health Exam mm-hmm. is huge because if we go through grad school and we, we have this goal in mind of being a, um, you know, a licensed professional counselor in a private setting or in a treatment center or, you know, wherever you are, if you don't pass the test, you, I mean, you've, you've taken, you've gone to grad school for however long it took you and you're kind of stuck doing what you're doing without, I mean, without the license, you can't practice, you can't, you know, do any of the things that an LPC can do. So I really do think that that probably is one of the most important um, things as far as when you're looking at a grad school. And then also, you know, just, having a level of personal awareness. So what do I personally um, 
look for. For me, one of the things was, was um, it being a Christian institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course we did not, and, and I see everybody, it is not, um, and I certainly don't say anything about my Christian beliefs unless somebody asks me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me personally, in looking for a grad school, it's kind of like the size of classes. It was like, it's yeah. a university. I'm good with that. Um, does it have the experiential stuff? Like I said, I'm, I am very much an experiential learner. And my favorite classes in grad school were adventure-based counseling, group, play therapy, mm-hmm. and some things like that, where I really, I got to do hands-on things, helping relationships. I mean, we were thrown into the fire my very first semester, you know, took helping relationships and it was like, so you got to go record with a client. And I'm like, Oh my right. God. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let me get right on that. You know? That was one of my favorites too. Was relationships. Like you said, it's right at the front and it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't know yeah. if I'm ready for that. You know, and then, and then, you know, being, being, I say critiqued, but being, um, yeah, critiqued by our peers, I think mm-hmm. was so, so essential. Yeah, we can watch our own videos and things like that. And we can go, okay, I did good here. But somebody (laughs) else may point out something else. And you're like, dang, I didn't see that. (laughs) And but you know what, though, also the flip side, because, you know, I I truly believe that a lot of times, uh, at least for me, I'm definitely my own worst critic. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, a lot of times people experience that. and, And so the the having that those peers to tell you the truth and give you a a a more realistic view of it's not as good as you think but it's also not as bad as you think you know having them (laughs) to help balance you out I think that's and and also go ahead I'm sorry it provides a level of humility you know humility is an accurate perception of self and it allows for this level of humility that may or may not be developed in some of us right right and um, I, this is kind of going back a little bit, but as far as taking our um, exams, we have to take um, the national counseling exam, but also the national clinical mental health uh, uh, counseling exam. And for me, I think it was very telling um, how extreme people thought about the National Clinical Mental Health Counseling Exam, Mm -hmm. because that one um, has to do with putting it into practice. And you would think that would be the easiest one, right? You just learned it, you do it, it's fine. (laughs) But people just react so, so extremely to that. I don't know how to take that kind of test. And so it's like, but you think you can do the job that doesn't sound like it matches, you know? So right, but I, I right. really think that, I really think that that's telling. And I think that's very important um, to look into stuff like that for a program. Absolutely. I mean, you know, with the national Clin- clinical mental health exam, you know, you have to have had um, a psychopathology. I mean, you got to have the, the, mm-hmm. um, adult psychopathology mm-hmm. you got to have you know and it's, and I think it's very helpful to have the um children's psychopathology as yeah. well mm-hmm. yeah um got to have those classes to be able to do the diagnosing you have to have those classes mm-hmm. to be able to decide what type of information do I need to gather so right. that I can correctly diagnose what I feel like is going on with the client right what would you say are some of your biggest successes <laughs> uh, as a woman's 
wellness therapist? Gosh, I've, there's so many, um, and, and not really successes for me, but successes for my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just witnessing change, seeing women come alive that may mm-hmm. not have been just mm-hmm. for circumstances in their life or just mm-hmm. life trying to live life on life's terms or, or, you know, just things that happen in our lives, just seeing them come alive and just this glimpse that I get into the empowerment that they're feeling um, is, is to me how I measure, I think, I guess my success. Um, it's kind of hard for me to, me to, to talk about my, you know, my success. Cause I feel like, I feel like, you know, every client has it in them and, you know, mm-hmm. it's our job to just, help to ask the right questions to yeah. prod and probe where, where needed so that they can realize it in themselves and how it, how it translates outside of my office. But I love to see um, women who, uh, you know, as women, we are so quick to take care of everybody else. If you're mm-hmm. married, we take care of our husbands. If you're a mother, you take care of your children. Um, you know, we've got parents sometimes, and those of us that have parents that are getting a little bit older, we take care of them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're the last ones to be taken care of. Yeah. And even um, your friends too, sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we cannot pour from an empty cup. I'm telling if you. our cup is not filled, we can't pour from it. And so I think seeing women understand the importance of self-care Mm-hmm. and what it feels like and what it means and their value and they are enough to have their cup filled first before we can fill other people's cups. And so that's kind of how mm-hmm. I measure success is by yeah. just watching these women just come alive and just change and um, really just, and you can even see it sometimes on their faces. Mm-hmm. And I love those moments of sitting in my office across from a client and you can just see this aha moment happen with them. Mm-hmm. And that's when I just, uh, my passion ignites and I can just, I love to just dig in and start talking with them about what that looks like. Nice. And I would like to throw one at you as well. I would say that one of your professional successes is your willingness to be vulnerable mm-hmm. um, because that, that looks different for different clinicians. And we also know that some clinicians don't believe in it at all, right. um, which is fine. But I do think that, um, like you said, it, it, it can be so, so powerful. Um, so I think that that's a success too. Thank you. I do. I agree with you. I think that is, um, and, and I guess I'm so used to being like that because if I'm vulnerable, I'm walking in freedom and I mm-hmm. like freedom and I want to continue to be that's free. Beautiful. <laughs> that Gosh. is beautiful. I love that so much. <laughs> So Catherine, do you feel along with the successes, do you feel that you've made contributions um, throughout your career that have helped improve the field? I don't even know how I would, how I would measure that or anything. (laughs) Um, I don't know necessarily the field, but I I hope that my clients' lives have been enriched. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do. and, And, you know, maybe, maybe in the field when I talk with other clinicians um, 
and I talk, um, Aisha, like you said, about the level of vulnerability. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that is a contribution that in some small way that I'm, that I'm making. Um, Absolutely it is. Absolutely. Is to talk about that vulnerability and to talk about my experience um, just in my own life. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us, like I said before, get to this um, profession by accident. Right. <laughs> that, that, that want more personal awareness, that want to, that have done our own work. Mm-hmm. And we like to share the things that, that we've done, you know, that may have been helpful or not helpful um, mm-hmm. in our own lives with other clinicians as well. Right. And I think supervising for you is um, is a, a success as well, or, or being helping to improve the field. Yes. Um, so, is there any general advice that you would like to give to others to help them foster improvement? Just as far as being clinicians. Uh yeah. Okay, so. Um, Ah, <laughs> self-compassion, I think, is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, I feel like in order for us to show compassion for others, we have to show compassion for ourselves first. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there's some, sometimes I walk out of this office and I think, oh my gosh, that was just the biggest failure ever. <laughs> <laughs> but realizing that we are human beings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, because we're human beings, we're going to make mistakes as well. And I right. think showing ourselves some grace and some self-compassion is huge. Right. Um, and I also think that, gosh, having our own therapist is so important. Therapists yes. need therapist too. Let me reiterate <laughs> that one. If, I, if people don't go away with anything but this today, therapists need therapists. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why we need that is to to not only – continue our own work because if we are not continuing to grow and do our own work, how mm-hmm. can we encourage our clients to continue to grow mm-hmm. and do Absolutely. their own work? Yep. And so I, I believe that's one of the best, best advice that I can give new clinicians is um, first of all, have an accurate perception of yourself. That's what mm-hmm. humility is. Mm-hmm. Have that. Um, you know, we are the expert in the room. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember that we're the expert in the room. We are trained. We know what we're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. So have that self-confidence, but also balance out with a level of I'm a human being. I'm going to make mistakes and I need to show myself the same compassion that I show my clients. I love that. And I, and I'm really grateful that you said it because I feel like, um, in grad school, I heard a lot of extreme stuff, um, and I'm, and I, I'm not that extreme. I believe in the middle, you know. <laughs> but I feel like I heard a lot of extreme stuff. You know, there's these people who think, well, I'm the expert, and I know how to get you there, and I don't need any help at all. And then I heard a lot of these people, well, the client is the expert, and we should just do only the stuff for them, and it, like, we, let's balance it, y'all. Yes, right. <laughs> Both of those things are true, but only to a certain extent, right? (laughs) So we need to meet in the middle of those. And I also think to treat each client individually. 
mm-hmm. to to not just assume if somebody's coming in that they're going to be a cookie cutter of another client. Yeah. And also, I think the second to taking an accurate look at ourselves um, is to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Because they're coming in in a place of they want change. Some of them are in crisis. Some mm-hmm. of them have had some severe trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Hoping that we won't leave them there, but meeting them where they are. And right. let them kind of, um, I'm not going to, I mean, not let them lead um, kind of the way as far as their progress, because what you yeah. don't want to do is when somebody comes in, you overload them, you know, with a bunch of resources and a bunch of homework and stuff like that. Right. Right. I've got to be honest. So when I first started, I think I did that a little bit because my desire was so great mm-hmm. to help. Mm-hmm. And I was, okay, am I doing this right? Am I, you know, am I checking off all the boxes that I need to check off? Am I, mm-hmm. you know, doing no harm. Am I doing this? I mean, you know, am I doing all of these <laughs> right. things? And we got the checklist right. running in our head because of the importance of what we do. My gosh, we've got right. Right. Heart for, um, emotions and everything else in, in mm-hmm. our hand. Um, but to, to not hurry things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and to also be willing to be a little confrontational. That's another thing that I think comes with the longer we're in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is learning how to be a little confrontational. Yeah. Most of us don't like that by nature. Most of us are non-confrontal people. Um, and I myself am a two on the Enneagram. So I really don't like conflict. <laughs> so, um, so I avoided it at all costs. Um, but sometimes it is absolutely necessary for yes. people. Like it, and if you're, if you have a client that's been coming for a long time, that's stagnant, you know, yeah. I even had a client recently here that, um, I'd been seeing her for quite some time and this was when I was still under supervision and I was, ex- I was expressing to him how frustrated that I was because she'd been seeing me for a long time and we were still talking about the same thing over and over again. And, mm-hmm. she, and he said to me, he said, well, have you been able to communicate to her your level of frustration? Like the mm-hmm. frustration that her family's feeling let her know that, you know, maybe you could understand the same frustrations that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just that being willing to look at, sometimes we have to confront people in order to get them to move, in order to get them to see some things that they may have had blinders on forever. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times people think of confrontation negatively and it's not right. negative. It's just bringing something to the front. Let's just talk about it. Right. Yeah. You know, it's a part of life. Right. I mean, I think we're promised that more so than we're promised a whole lot of things is we're broken human beings trying to be in relationships with broken human beings. And so of course we're going to have confrontation. We're going to have misunderstandings. We're going to have miscommunications. We're going to have hurt. We're going to have, you know, all of the things because my character defects are going to bump up against somebody else's character Mm -hmm. defects at some point in time. And it's going to, we're going to have some confrontations Mm -hmm. and learning how to handle that, especially learning how to handle that in the counseling room is huge. I think for counselors just starting out. And I love, I love the the bringing up confrontation because that goes back all the way to the vulnerability. It can be vulnerable to share your frustration with a client, you know, because I think there's this, I don't know if it's a stigma or just this ideation that the counselor is always so 
pleased and so calm with the client. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and the fact that you're able to say, I can see why they're frustrated. Right. I feel that right. too. Right. That's, right. that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, um, depending on what setting you work in, it, it might even be a fear of if this client will come back or not or how they will perceive mm-hmm. it. But I think that's the beauty of learning to use the tool of confrontation yep. is yep. that you yep. learn when it's appropriate, you know? Yes. <laughs> and uh, saying that, just to kind of piggyback on that, you will lose clients. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it is difficult in the beginning not to take it personally. Yeah. And so my advice also to new clinicians is don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. People will seek counseling sometimes when they're in a crisis yes. and the crisis goes away and they quit right. going to counseling right. or they, for, for whatever reason, my gosh, boy, whether it be financial or whatever, you mm-hmm. will lose clients. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to be self-reflective in, so what could I have done a little bit differently? Were there times, were there things that I could have said or maybe shouldn't have said or where I should have pushed a little bit more? I think that is very important to understand that you will, you will lose clients. And I remember the first one I lost, Oh, it stung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what am I? Oh gosh, I must be the worst counselor ever in the history of counseling. <laughs> There's that extreme. It always right. goes directly to that. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and I just, I just say to you, show yourself that goes back to that self-compassion, show yourself some, mm-hmm. some compassion and some grace. Yes. You're going to mess up right. because you're human beings. Yeah. We're going to say things. And after we say them, we're going to go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> but try not to hang on to that for too long. Just go, mm-hmm. okay. I said it. I did it. Let's get it on down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are all the questions that we have for you. I think you you gave some wonderful information. I Mm -hmm. think this is going to be very helpful to our listeners. Um, So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's such a privilege. I I love to talk about the things that get me fired up. (laughs) So I appreciate and I'm humbled by the opportunity to have spoken with you guys today. Let me ask this. I don't know. Um, I feel like we didn't directly talk about it, but let's get in there. What kind of things you cover with um, women's issues? I know we talked about transition periods and things like that, but can you give us a few more um, kind of specific things that you do with women or that you um, like kind of issues they come in with? Sure. Um, a lot of what I see is adjustments like periods of life, like I said, stages of Mm -hmm. life, going from, you know, graduating from college, going into the workforce, having a baby, getting married, um, transitioning from having children in the home to not having children in the home, to retirement, to, you know, losing a spouse, to taking care of aging parents. I mean, they're just all of the different stages of life. Um, And, and really just encouraging women to be, to be where they are. Also mm-hmm. body image. Um, I do see a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, really learning also, I see a lot because, you know, we had, everybody has parents and they were broken people trying to raise broken people. So right. they're mm-hmm. going to make mistakes in their parenting. So helping, helping women to kind of almost like reparent that inner child that they have. 
Mm -hmm. Um, that's a big one. The, um, the negative self-talk and replacing that negative Mm -hmm. self-talk with some, some mantras, with some sayings that they can really the truth about who they are and retraining their brain to go from, if they realize they've done something wrong from, you know, I'm a terrible person to, Oh my gosh, I just make mistakes. Right. Um, depression, um, postpartum depression, perimenopause, um, also because our women's bodies change so much and with hormones. Mm-hmm. And I think we sometimes underestimate the power of hormones. Um, yeah. they can do, they can just wreak havoc on our body and they can wreak yes. havoc on our emotions and our, yeah. our mental state. Um, especially since women are, are judged uh, by their bodies. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's that self image that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and gosh, sometimes I deal with a lot of mom shame, like women coming in here who have been shamed by other women for being a certain type of mom or not mm-hmm. being a certain type of mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Um, deal Women who, you know, are, are trying to deal with maybe a child that's struggling with addiction mm-hmm. um, and giving them some resources and some community and some things that they might need. Um, or dealing with a spouse, infidelity, um, things like that. A lot of times I'll mm-hmm. see couples and then, um, you know, I might see them individually um, just to kind of get individual perspectives. And then we come yeah. back together as a couple. Um, so there's that. And, and I see a lot, a lot of just in right now, I don't know if it's um, just kind of the world we live in. We live in this, you know, fast paced breakneck Mm -hmm. speed so I'm seeing right now I'm seeing a lot of anxiety and I also think it's probably due to the pandemic because I believe Mm -hmm. that we're in a grieving process and you know the world stopped and we caught up with ourselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) you know and and for sometimes for the first time Mm-hmm. You know, we, as yep. women, we graduate from college. Some of us get married. Some of us start a family. Then we have a job. And, and it's like, we're, we're just rolling through life. And then all of a sudden we had to pump the brakes on right. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of, a lot of anxiety. And I think that's why I love one of the many reasons why I love the practice of yoga so much mm-hmm. is it just helps reduce that anxiety level so yeah. much. Um, yeah, so, so that's kind of what I see with a lot of women. Um, ha, you know, um, interpersonal relationships, mm-hmm. a lot of, of just how to deal with, with personal relationships, yes, how to deal yeah. with loss, how to deal with grief, mm-hmm. how to deal with um, a lot of, you know, just a lot of issues that, that we face. But, I, I, you know, I think that that perimenopause and that menopause, um, you know, women over about 40 years old, sometimes we think it's everything but that. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, <laughs> and that I encourage women to, to do their research and to look for resources mm-hmm. um, on what that looks like. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying we fall back on that and we blame that for everything, but I do think that it plays such a major role in our life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm glad we went back for that because I think that's going to be really helpful. Um, that, w- that was really good information for, for people who might be interested in that and, and knowing um, what those things might look like. So sure. thank you for that. Um, yeah, so, so that's all really. And like I said, thank you again for being yes. here. This was so wonderful to have you. Thank you for the opportunity. 
Thanks. Have a good weekend. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Again, that was Catherine Hagwood um, talking mostly about women's wellness. Uh, we would love to know your thoughts and experiences. Tell us what you think. Um, what do you think about helping women with a holistic approach to counseling? Do you have any concerns about specializing in that area or focusing on that area because it's not really a specialty? Um, and also, if you do practice in women's wellness, tell us about some of your successes or failures. Um, or even if you're a client and you feel like um, mm-hmm. you, your counseling is mostly about your wellness as a woman, we'd love to hear about that as well. So we just want to hear it. Doesn't matter what your story right. is, tell us. Bring it on. Um, all right. Um, and thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. And for listening to this whole series, uh, this four-part series, right? (laughs) Um, So we're happy you joined us and hope you got some valuable information. And we will see you next week. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha Jane and Lisa Michelle. Remember to check out our website at thecounselingclinicpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram at the Counseling Clinic Podcast. We'll see you guys next week for our next session. Bye, guys.